Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 720 to 729, select styles only. Guys being dudes. Yeah, we just gotta keep pounding, you know? Just keep pounding. Gotta keep pounding. Joe's a big fan of keep pounding these days. Keep on pounding. You never want to stop pounding. You might want to revise that statement. Comes across a little wrong. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never stop pounding, kids. You heard it here first. <laughs> Better than this, guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I am Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and FanRag Sports. I'm joined by Ben Solak, also of NDT Scouting and Bleeding Green Nation, also the co-host of the Lockdown Eagles Podcast. And we are your hosts today on a Monday edition of the Draft Dudes Podcast. Uh, Kyle Krabs is off today. He's got some some adventures he's working on personally that maybe he'll uh, he'll touch on. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, when he will be back, uh, but uh, for now, you know we got we got uh, the best reliever in the business, Ben Solak, filling in. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. I, I wish I could make a, a baseball reliever reference here, but I, I don't watch baseball very stringently, and so I've got nothing for you. So you are not okay. So baseball is out for you. Yeah, I was I was brought up in in the house. You know, you uh you you got back from you 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 did a homework on Saturday. You went to church Sunday morning, it's Sunday afternoon, you watched all the football, and then for the week, we didn't have much, you know, like, not much basketball in the way, not much baseball at all. Now, I've started getting into basketball recently, but baseball, I just, 
I, I end up looking for something else to do while the game is on. I, it doesn't keep me engaged. I don't know. Like, I don't want to poo-poo it for those who like it, but it just doesn't do it for me at all. Yeah, I am uh, a New York Mets fan. And when the Mets are good, I am locked in on baseball. Uh, but when the Mets are bad, which is pretty frequently, I tune out. Uh, when your team's bad in baseball, it's hard to stay engaged. It's 162 games, man. It's like, and yeah. it's hard for me to like watch the development. Like, I just, it's not like in football. If my team, if the Bills are bad, which they usually are, you know, every <laughs> game, every game is appointment TV. Haven't missed a Bills game since '97, so you know that doesn't matter. But you know, baseball, man, it it is tough to to stay engaged. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you in that. Uh, I you know it doesn't do it for me. But when my team is good, so I'm honest, being honest with you, I'm very much a a if my team is good baseball fan. But I do I do like it. I like to get out to, to the ballpark. I'll make a few trips to Atlanta uh, mm-hmm. each year and, and catch a game. So have have a good time with that from time to time. Uh, ben, we are getting closer and closer to this 2018 NFL draft. 149 days away, so we are within 150 days of the 2018 NFL Draft, and we like to bring a number to the table that is relevant to the amount of days it is until the NFL Draft. And so today it's 149, which is also the amount of games it took Barry Sanders to reach 18,000 yards from scrimmage uh, that's the fastest ever for a player to reach 18,000 yards. I have to assume there's wow. not many that even have 18,000 yeah. yards. Uh, and so if you if you look at that from 1989 to 1998, that's an average of 121 yards per game. Ben, did you ever see uh, Barry Sanders play, or is that a little before your time? No, sir. I was I was exactly one year old in 1998, <laughs> so I wasn't I wasn't seeing much Barry Sanders there. The the main impact Barry Sanders had on my life yeah. was how every you know coach I had in middle school, junior high, high school always gave the quote about Barry Sanders when you get to the end zone, act like you've been there before, yeah. right? So that was that was the main exposure I had to Barry Sanders when I was a kid. But definitely, as I've gotten further and further into um, you know, into sports and into scouting and everything like that. I've definitely watched Barry Sanders, found some old film. I remember uh, back in the summer, a couple months ago, John Ledyard said that, you know, Darius Geis gave him some Barry Sanders flashes, which was, you know, that was something else. Barry Sanders, that, you know, that's a top three back in the history of the game, right, Joe? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm a little more acquainted with Mr. Barry Sanders, an unbelievable football player. Uh, if you could deal with the negative runs, um, which you should be able to because he averaged like a, a ridiculous amount of yards per game. Uh, 121, yeah. You know, you, you, you just realize that that's a special talent. Um, you know, obviously I think his career could have went a bit longer, but certainly one of the most special football players I've ever seen. Um, and I guess I, I should consider myself grateful for having a chance to have said I watched him play. Um, yeah. So who's like that kind of like – Looking at your era, not that I'm like that much older than you, but I am older than you. Like, mm-hmm. who are your guys? Like, when you think about the greats of your lifetime, that Ben Solak can say that he saw play football. Like, who who are the guys? Right. So I, I you know I have very very faint memories of when Emmett Smith was still around, but that was kind of in like the 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 later era, like the Cardinal Emmett Smith, right? Less yeah. than ideal. LT is the guy that pops out to me as when I when I was growing up. You know, first getting into football, first memories thereof. It was Ladainian Thompson was the standard. You know, uh, do everything sort of a back. You know, I think he's he's probably a top five back in the in the history of the game right now. And it's funny. There's another guy, Saquon 
Michael Barkley's been getting those LT comps because he has all that ability as well. But I remember Tomlinson was the dude. I also remember Marshall Falk. I was able to see him play a little bit. So those are the standards for running back play. I still think the greatest player with which I've like spent serious time and like you know I can really quantify what he did was Calvin Johnson. You know Megatron. I uh, there's there's nothing to be said for the ability that Calvin Johnson had to just take over a football game. They're like, unbelievable talent. When when uh, when there were those rumors that the Eagles might be like trading for his rights from the Lions, I was losing my mind just because Calvin represents that goat for me. And, and just the idea of him wearing midnight green was crazy. But those those are like that's like my like earliest generation of like the, those greats, those all time guys. Yeah, you know, I, I it's certainly a good call. Dominant football player. Uh, for for like, I thought you were gonna say J.J. Watt. Like, I know that in recent years mm. he's been injured, but like that stretch that he had was probably some of the most dominant play I've ever seen. And I certainly hope we get it back because I miss dominant J.J. Watt. Sprint's Unlimited Plus plan. It has Hulu, Title Premium, 15 gigabytes mobile hotspot, and full HD. Atlas, we need to shout that from the rooftops. Best deal ever. I didn't mean literally. Switch to Sprint's Unlimited Plus plan for just $42 per line. But hurry, for a limited time, it's now $22 per line when you bring or buy your own phones. Visit Sprint.com slash Unlimited or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Price with $5 per month auto pay discount. One Hulu limited commercial plan for Sprint account. Features differ. Offer coverage not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new line subject to credit and $30 activation fee speed. Maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances to well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. No, I agree with you for sure. In the sense that, like, I wasn't thinking trench play. I was going straight to skill players. I love trench play. And, yeah, J.J. Watts is, man, I want him to be healthy again. I know that, you know, I know that he bothers some folks and everything, but I just love, like, everything about him. You know, I, I like I like his positivity. I like his outreach. I like the way he's very active and everything just as a guy. And then when he gets on the field, he's ridiculous. That Houston front seven, I mean, Jadavian Clowney's been playing his best football of his career, but Merciless and Watt have both been injured. If they can get that healthy and then you get Deshaun Watson back, jeez. Ben, um, yeah, no, I am very, very excited to see him back again. That would be that would be fun. Uh, ben, you know, normally on Mondays we spend a lot of time kind of recapping the weekend that was in college football, and, and we are going to do that. But we're going to do that by kind of digging into some of these relevant storylines with, you know, like the coaching mm-hmm. carousel that's that is spinning <laughs> big time here as we record this on a Sunday night. Uh, and, uh, and also the, you know, the upcoming college football rankings and the, we have the conference championship games on the horizon. And, uh, the first thing I wanted to get into you, with you is how we stack up these teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm looking through our, you know, our side by side each week, uh, for NDT scouting, all seven of our staff members, submit their top 15s, their individual top 15s. And what we do is we average them together to give our composite top 15. And we've released that each week on NDT scouting. And so this week is obviously as we narrow down the, as we get to the end of the season and, you know, there's not a lot of football left to be played and and it's time to really, you know, who are the best four teams in the nation. It's really getting exciting to see everybody turn theirs in. And, uh, 
we don't agree on a whole lot, Ben. So I'm glad <laughs> that uh, I'm glad that it's you and me here today to to hash this out because we agree at number one, and Which we is agree important. at number ten, and uh, then that's it. That's the only two spots in our in our top 15s that we agree. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's kind of get into this right right here at number one. Both of you, both you and I have Clemson, and um, this is not something new for you. I believe you had Clemson. Did you have Clemson number one earlier in the year, or did you think about it and didn't do it? But you've been you've been pretty high on Clemson all year. Yeah, I've had Cle- I had Clemson number one for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, they had a, an early victory against Auburn. They had that early victory against Virginia Tech that kind of really did it for me. And I had them above Alabama because, sure, Alabama at the time was undefeated and, and, and is has the pedigree. But Clemson had actual wins against ranked teams, you know, not against a Florida State team that lost its starting quarterback and then it ended up being a huge misnomer in the rankings. Clemson had those wins over ranked teams. And they were playing fantastic football, you know. Then that lost to Syracuse game, and I kind of had to drop them. But I covered that game for IGT Scouting. And they had a very injured Kelly Bryant, who was not even, I wouldn't say, at 50% health. Right? He, he could not put weight on that ankle for the first half of the game. He was not scrambling well, which is the, his game is predicated on that. The Clemson offense is predicated on that. And then he eventually goes out with a full injury. They bring in their backup. They're in Syracuse, which is a tough place to play no matter how good Syracuse is. Syracuse has that, breakne- that breakneck offense, insane pace that's so difficult to handle if you can't put out consistent offense offense because your defense gets exhausted and they ended up losing that game and, and so you got to push them down a little bit but Clemson has it is a very very talented football team I think the defense is easily as good as it was last year the front seven is as good as it was certainly that maybe that defensive backfield a little bit off then the rushing attack with you know Wayne Goldman is now gone they've got this this you know this young guy Travis, uh, Travis Etienne up in there it's a better rushing attack than they had last year. They've they've always, for me, been a team that is a little bit slept on nationally. And, yeah, number one was an easy choice for me once Alabama went down. Yeah, and I'm with you. Uh, yeah, they, they were number one for me as well. And that win over Auburn looks remarkable. And let me take this chance to talk about Virginia Tech uh, because that's their other kind of big signature win. If Virginia Tech had Gerard Evans as their quarterback this year, I think they're playing for the ACC championship on Saturday. That defense, I like that take. That defense is outstanding. They've got Cam Phillips, who's the most productive wide receiver in the history of, of the university, a very good offensive line. There's no reason for Gerard Evans to have declared uh, because not only is he not on an NFL roster, but uh, the, the Hokies squandered what I thought was a really good collective defense and uh, enough around him on offense that could have made them really good so that I think that wins really good anyways but uh yeah for me it's Clemson Clemson right there at number one handled their business the Syracuse loss sucks um but uh you know there's not a lot of undefeated teams which we will get into here in just a second Clemson number one for me then it starts getting different between you and I uh Ben let's let's I'll, I'll tell the people how we stack up the top four and then we can kind of uh, stand on our soapboxes and then talk about kind of our next two out and, and, and the rest of these, these rankings. I have it, one Clemson, two Auburn, three Oklahoma, four Georgia. Ben Solak sees it as Clemson, one, Oklahoma, two, Auburn, three, and Wisconsin, four. So we mm-hmm. have we have number four. as We have the same combination of teams, one, two, three. And then we have different number fours. So Oklahoma, Auburn, Oklahoma, Auburn, Clemson are one through three for us in some order. And then number four, I have Georgia, and you have Wisconsin. 
And as the as the uh, lead host today, I, I'm going to take honors. Um, do it, do it. <laughs> so for me, Ben, uh, all of this, including number one, is very much up in the air, right? So yes, it, <laughs> it's it's I don't I hate to preface like what I'm about to say by saying that you know this is going to handle itself and the way that I me- I stack it up today doesn't matter, but it's just the truth. You know, we have a situation where you know Clemson or Miami is going to lose. If Clemson loses to Miami, they're out. They could be they're number one today, but it's it's volatile. Right, it's fragile. They'll be right out of the out of the out of the playoffs if they don't beat. Which is Miami. awesome. It's it, so exciting. It, it is. Same thing with uh, number two Auburn. Auburn picks up their third loss. They're out. Mm-hmm. Now uh, it does get interesting because I have them at number two. You know the way that they're playing right now. Is, is unbelievable. Obviously, the losses to uh, both LSU uh, and Clemson are good. You don't want to have two losses, but the way that they're playing, beating Georgia, beating Alabama, impressive stuff, and winning those both of those games by multiple scores. Um, now, you go take care of Georgia again at a neutral site, <laughs> you're in. With two losses, yeah. you're in. Uh, then I have Oklahoma at three, and the reason I don't have them higher, some of our staff, Ben, has them at number one. And for me, and for me, this is a team that's unbelievably impressive on offense, but they are very uh, bad on defense. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we saw that in their loss to Iowa State. They they had a stretch in their schedule, in the middle of their schedule, where they were not winning convincingly against some of the the average to below average teams in the Big 12. And so, uh, to me, you know, go out, beat TCU, get into the dance, that's all fine and dandy. But for me, you know, they're not number one because, you know, they didn't – you look at the eyeball test and you say, okay, a bad defense didn't necessarily dominate teams like Baylor, who lost to Liberty – um, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting there saying that this is the top one or two team in the nation for me at number four, Ben, I got Georgia and, mm-hmm. uh, one lost Georgia. They obviously they, they weren't competitive in their loss to Auburn. They have a chance to avenge that loss, but, uh, you know, they came in and they, they steamrolled their schedule man. <laughs> they really did. And they beat some quality teams. And again, it's a playing game. So Auburn or Georgia is going to lose the SEC championship, and the loser of that game falls out of this top four, and that's going to bump who I have at number six, Alabama, or at number five, Alabama, or number six, Wisconsin, or number seven, Miami for me, uh, depending on how those games go. So it's interesting to talk about how we stack it up today, but how we stack it up today has little relevance because this weekend, this coming weekend, is going to ultimately decide that. So, Ben, uh, take a ch- take some time here to, to roll through how you see this going into the conference championship weekend and tell me why I'm wrong. Right. So I, that's the thing. I don't think you're wrong. You know, it's so, like, there's so much parity. It's really, really exciting. And if anything, and we'll probably get into this more later, you know, this, if anything, shows that we need to expand the college football playoff. Firstly, I think that the potential for, for dark horses and for upsets and for teams to come in hot, you know, who've really been, been, been getting good over the past few weeks Auburn's a great example right it would uh, open up the space for them to get in and then you know you increase ratings I think it would increase revenue I think it'd be so much fun to see a six or an eight team playoff and I think this year especially is a good example of that so it's not you know I I can see so many different sides of things Uh, I've got Oklahoma ahead of Auburn and and it was a tough one for me I actually spent a lot a lot of time on two and three here more so than I'm used to 
and it came down to two things for me. Number one, I don't know how healthy Auburn is. You know, they've played some very, very physical football games over the past three weeks. Obviously, they had kind of the uh, the, the cupcake in between with UL Monroe, I believe it was. But the, that game against Georgia was heavy. And that game against Alabama, as always, was heavy. And you know that they're beating up a little bit. I mean, they were down to their third, fourth string running back by the end of the game there uh, against Alabama. And right now, on Johnson's status is up in the air you know they don't know if he's going to be ready for the sec championship game and if he's not i don't see how they beat georgia you know and so right now one of, one of, that was one reason why auburn uh, lost a little bit of an edge for me against oklahoma and then the other thing it came down to because i find these teams very very even as far as how dangerous they are how difficult they are to handle uh i end up going to the quarterback position and and baker mayfield man <laughs> i haven't seen a quarterback at the college level play like this in a couple of years you know i mean like i deshaun watson was obviously playing out of his mind you know, that last year when he was powering comes to the national championship game. But Baker Mayfield's efficiency has been record-setting. It's been unbelievable. He's, he's fearless, and he's talented, and he's excellent, and he's smart, and, and he's a little inappropriate. And he caught up some flag for that. But he's such a good football player. And, and when those two things, you know, health and then that, that playmaking ability of Baker Mayfield put Oklahoma ahead of Auburn for me, the one thing that gives me some pause there is I don't know how much I trust you know, the, the young coach there, Oklahoma, you got Lincoln Riley, you know, uh, compared to a guy like Gus Melton, you know, that might be Melton, such an excellent coach, an excellent offensive mind. Riley is a little bit more inexperienced. That might be where Auburn has an edge. But I mean, I think a game between Oklahoma and Auburn, if we could potentially get that two and three would be such a fun game. So that's a really tight one for me. And then I put Wisconsin at four. And the reason I put Wisconsin at four is because if I were to make a 14 playoff right now, I, I wouldn't be able to justify leaving an undefeated power five team out of it and so i kind of have to put wisconsin at four do i know if wisconsin would beat georgia uh wisconsin would be alabama uh, like it's it, it, i'm not too sure at the end of the day you know wisconsin has to take a long look at how they set up their schedule there in the big 10 west because you know when you're opening up the year against utah state florida atlantic and byu and you're already playing in a week division in your conference you're asking for this right like it, it, it's it's frustrating to me that you know, Wisconsin finds themselves in a similar position as they did last year. When you want to say, listen, if you're going to continually dominate the Big Ten West and you're, you know, the other teams there are going to struggle, well, you have to start scheduling some better games. And obviously, I know they're moving towards that, but it's tough to see them in this position again. This game against, you know, the Ohio State University, interesting. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be, I think, a closer game than a lot of people think, especially barring the health of JT Barrett. Uh, moving forward, I know how much can Urban Meyer run his offense there against that fearsome Wisconsin defense? I think that Wisconsin will be able to run the ball against uh, against Ohio State, which we saw when Penn State was able to run it. This Ohio State team has problems. We saw when Iowa was able to run the football. This Ohio State team has problems. You know, you can move the football on these guys, and I think that big Wisconsin line will be able to do it. And so I think that game is going to be close. Wisconsin beats Ohio State. There's no way you leave them out of the playoffs. You know, that's the reality. So for me, it comes down to the fact that. I would have to put Wisconsin in the playoffs as an undefeated Power 5 presumed conference champion right now, and that's why they got the number 4 slot for me. Again, the, the closest between 4, 5, and 6 on my list is, is pretty significant for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. So I don't have Wisconsin in my top 4, but if they beat Ohio State, they will have forced me to put them in their top 4. And, right. you know, it's, it's, um, I do not undermine uh, being undefeated. I really don't. I think that's hard to do. We only have two teams, basically. That's it, right? No, we do only have two teams that were able to win all the games on their schedule. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's something that, uh, 
you know, it's funny. Like we're like uh, week three, week four, and you look at these schedules, you're like, who? Where's the loss? Where? F- tell me where the where the loss is on these teams. A lot of times, right? right. And then it just happens, right? It, it just you just don't have these this slew of undefeated teams every year. And so I I do not uh, take anything away from Wisconsin going undefeated. It's important. And if they continue to go undefeated, they they get into the playoffs. But for me, it comes down to give me the four best teams. And when I think about these teams playing at neutral sites and how I stack them up, I like all the teams that I have, the five teams that I have above Wisconsin, as the winner of that game. And so for that reason, they're on the outside looking in right now for me. Uh, and, and, like, you know, it's tough for me to argue with that. I absolutely see, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Miami being tough on this Wisconsin team. I do think, however, you know, Alex Hornibrook has won his last 18 games as the Wisconsin starter, right? He's been in and out of a couple games of injury, which they dropped. He's won 18 straight, right? They have a winning formula at Wisconsin. And I think that there's, you know, is momentum a, a call? Is it, is it a football thing? Is it a sports term? You know, obviously for those who watch football, yes, we think that it is. And, you know, we feel momentum. I very much do have the impression from this Wisconsin team, from the pieces that I've, I've seen them play, because they've had some dominant football games. What they did against Minnesota, which obviously Minnesota isn't the toughest uh, of opponents, was very impressive. What their defense did against an Iowa team that hung it on, on, on Ohio State was impressive. What this team did to Michigan, you know, only 10 points from a Michigan offense that was doing pretty well, you know, not great, but pretty well for Michigan standards coming in. What they did was very impressive. And again, Hornerbrook's been playing some great football these past six, seven quarters. I think that they've got momentum. I really do. I think that this team does have a, have a have something to prove here a little bit. And that gets me excited against an Alabama program that recently dropped if they're playing on a neutral site. That gets me excited about a Georgia team that, you know, frankly, I Jake Fromm, I'm not sure how much that freshman first-year starter is going to be able to continue to play as well as he is. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think that Wisconsin is – they've got something here. You know, they, they felt snubbed last year a little bit. And I think that they're – you know, they've there's, – there's belief for the Badgers for sure. For sure, and go beat Ohio State and prove that you belong. And, you know, it's unfortunate. Like you said, the way that they've set up their schedule with, you know, really soft non-conference slate to complement a very uh, light uh, Big Ten conference schedule, it did them no favors. Now, last year they played with LSU. you got to schedule someone like that every year, Wisconsin. And, yep. Because even look at, look at Brett Bielma, right, who we'll probably talk about here in a little while. He lost three straight Rose Bowls. Uh, to cap his Wisconsin career after basically, uh, you know, really kind of dominating for a long time in that division. And uh, even him, you know, he, it's, it's like, was he always a pretender, you know? And so even when I think about that and and the the history of this program going back over the last decade or so, uh, they've, they've got to start beefing up that schedule and, and then proving it and winning big games and, you know those that that stress stretch of three straight Rose, Rose Bowl losses doesn't do them any favors, and, and it, I know that this is the 2017 Wisconsin Badgers, but you know it's kind of the way that you perceive this, and it, the eyeball test is important, and, and how they've historically played against the big opponents is really important. And so, go beat Ohio State, who's the only team in the in the country with a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense, and and you're in. Right uh, now, Ben, the other major. Well, okay, so for me, the next out, also, by the way, here, for me, I have it as Alabama 5, Wisconsin 6, Miami at 7, which I think 
that's it. Those are the only teams that have a chance to be in the playoffs. And, and, and there's a scenario. I think there's a path for everybody, right? Even yeah. Alabama, there's a path for everybody to get in. Uh, even Miami. If Miami beats Clemson, like, wh- what do you do? <laughs> yeah, Miami's got a straight shot in, absolutely. Right. And right now they're, for both of us, uh, you know, very much on the outside looking in. Um, but they have a chance to go earn it and prove it. So, you know, this this conversation will take care of itself. Um, but uh, the one thing that we also really disagree upon is UCF. Uh, UCF is a team that you had at eight. I have it number 15. So I'm going to ask you. Shameful. I'm going to ask you a two-part question here is there a path to the playoffs for UCF which I don't know if it's a win and a combination of other things and why why eight why why is this a top 10 team actually this is fantastic because I was going to come at you with a question to see if you thought there was a path for UCF into the playoffs because let me draw this up for you you've got you know a hypothetical next next weekend Oklahoma loses Wisconsin loses and Georgia loses right so now you've got as your four teams in you'll have the the acc champion which will be a one loss champion either clemson or miami number two you'll have an sec champion in auburn which will be a two loss champion that'll be a two loss champion and they'll be in as well you've got two spots left remaining all you have are a bunch of two loss non-champions you have one another two loss champion in TCU. So you've already let in one two loss champion, which remember the, the 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 committee has never let in a two loss team. And you already have one two loss champion in, and you have another two loss champion in TCU. But then Oklahoma is a two loss champion. Um, you know, OSU will be a um, could potentially be a two loss champion if they beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin otherwise is a is a one loss non champion. Uh, you've got Georgia is going to be a two loss non champion. Then there's Bama who's a one loss non champion. You have two spots left. You have all these non-champions. The only champion that you have is a two-loss champion in TCU. Let's say they take the third spot. You're, you're going to give a one-loss non-champion the fourth spot over UCF, who is undefeated and the champion of their conference. That's where I think things get very interesting. You have an Oklahoma loss, a Wisconsin loss, and a Georgia loss. If those three things happen, which isn't very likely, but if they do, you're at a point where you're letting in two-loss non-champion or one, you're letting in a two-loss champion or a one-loss non-champion ahead of UCF. And to me, that's silly. Because it is so hard. We talked about it. It's so hard to go undefeated, Joe. It's so difficult. And let's let's talk about the fact that once they beat Memphis, UCF will have beaten three ranked teams. It'll be Memphis twice and South Florida once. They hammered Memphis when they played them. It was 40-13 to 13 or something. It was absurd. When they played USF... That game was tough. That game was close. USF came to play. It was a rivalry game. And UCF hung 21 points on them in the fourth quarter to win that thing. They played that close to the fourth quarter and proved that they can win a tight game. It's not just when they run away with games against inferior opponents. They played that tight, and they won. This is the the third best offense in all of college football by points per game. It's, it's one of the best in the first quarter, which shows me that they're very well coached. Scott Frost is the man. I have been very public about my man crush. Scott Frost for a long time. This is one of the best offenses in yards per play. They've got 17 players with a catch, 15 players with a rush. This is a dynamic, dangerous offense that's right up there with the likes of Oklahoma, in my opinion. Defense holds up, right? Am I saying that they're going to beat anybody? No, but I'm saying that this is a team that's been incredibly effective, and they've done all of their jobs, and I think that there needs to be a better consideration for them in the playoffs. There needs to be more of a national conversation about it, and that's why I have them eighth. Because I'm not going to put them, uh, you know, below a, a two-loss Ohio State team that got washed by Iowa. I'm not going to put them below a, a two-loss TCU team that got washed by Ohio, Iowa State. I'm not going to put them below a, a two-loss PCU team that lost to Michigan State. 
these teams dropped dropped games against opponents they should have clearly be in. UCF has not done so, and I have to give them credit for that. That's why I've got them there. So, what's the so would you put them in if this scenario played out? Is UCF in your top four? I mean, so a lot of it depends on how the losses go down. You know, you got to talk about, you know, obviously there's too much, you know, it, it's too cut and dry there. But I will say, you know, obviously that I, I bring up that Georgia loss so that Auburn gets in as a two-loss champion because I think that already having a two-loss team in the playoff causes problems for the committee. Like I said, they've never put in a two-loss team before. And they've never put in three teams from one conference before, which causes you problems with Georgia and with Bama. So uh, I, I intentionally gave them that, that Georgia loss so that you had that two-loss team in there to already cause problems. But if Oklahoma and Wisconsin both drop, you're at the place where you've just got thickness with Oklahoma, TCU, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, UCF, all of those teams. It's very, very thick. If that happens, there will need to be a conversation about UCF at least. I think that's very important because if there is a conversation about UCF, I think that will begin to move the, the, the committee and everybody towards a place where they say we may need more spots in this playoff or at least a more clearly defined avenue for a group of five team to get in. And that's what I think is important, personally, that that, that, that conversation exists. You know, Oklahoma and Wisconsin win, then we forgo that entirely and we have to continue going with a four-team playoff where, yeah, teams that do really well but aren't in Power Five conferences continue to get snubbed. I'm here to tell you that there's no path for Central Florida to be in the playoffs in my, in my world. Let me dream, Joe. I'm an underdog guy. I love it. I like it. I, and, and you you very well put together the, the, the case, and I appreciate that. But uh, if if Central Florida played Ohio State, Ben, what would be the final score in a neutral site? It'd be, it'd be 54 to 47 somebody, probably <laughs> Ohio State. I'd expect – what would be the point spread? Would it be a double-digit point spread going into the game? I mean, yeah, I think it absolutely would be. But I, I, I watched. I've, I've seen this UCF team play a couple times. I've talked a little bit. I wrote to NBC Scouting about the receiver Traquan Smith. These guys have some serious talent. Mackenzie Milton, that that uh, that quarterback, is a true dual threat. He's a big problem. He's going to be in Heisman talks in the upcoming seasons. I guarantee you. This team can score on anybody. I can promise you that. It's about their defense that I, you know, I think would probably yeah, struggle to hold up against like a playoff level team. So for me, I, I want to see. It goes back to I want to see the four best teams, and I I just I just can't. I can't when your best win comes against Memphis or UCF or excuse me USF. I just can't get behind that as being one of the four best teams in the nation. Give them a chance in the New Year's Day Bowl. They could play somebody. They can play Miami or. Uh, southern cal or ohio state or tcu or something and they can have their chance to beat a, a big big time team and scott frost can move on to nebraska uh and, and ucf can only hope to get back to where he's led them but uh for me uh there's no path uh ben speaking of scott frost and nebraska we are uh in the early stages i presume of what is already a wild an absolutely wild uh, coaching carousel um, as I look over this kind of at a high level, I've got six openings. I've got six teams in the SEC alone that are going to have new head coaches next year. That's that's just crazy. Uh, compared to two in the Pac-12, one in the Big Ten, and one in the ACC potentially that we know of. So um, let me kind of go through what we know right now, and then, Ben, I'll give you the first chance to talk uh, for you to talk about uh, your the storyline the biggest storyline for you at Tennessee we know that Butch Jones is out and we have no idea who's in the the Greg Schiano uh, possibility seems to be 
uh, nixed, and that's going to be a messy situation. Yeah. <laughs> Florida. Unbelievable. Florida, Jim McElwain is out. Dan Mullen is in. That's done. Arkansas, we know Brett Bielma is out. Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin appears to be out. I don't think that's official, but all indications are that he's out. Ole Miss is going to stick with Matt Luke. That is official. Nice. Uh, the replacement for Hugh Freeze. Mississippi State, uh, in turn here, because they lose Dan Mullen, that's an opening. Uh, ACC, the crazy rumor about uh, Jimbo Fisher uh, taking uh, the Texas A&M j- job is very much a storyline right now. That's not confirmed, but that's a possibility. Uh, Nebraska, we know that uh, Mike Riley is out, and uh, we don't know who's in, presumably Scott Frost. And the Pac-12, Jim Moore is out at UCLA, and that has officially uh, been replaced by Chip Kelly. And then Arizona State, we know that Todd Graham is out. Ben, what uh, what do you want to react to first here? My, uh, you know, I want to go Scott Frost. Like I said, love Scott Frost is my guy. And then obviously with my Eagle background, uh, Chip Kelly to UCLA, I have a couple thoughts. But I've got to give a shout-out to Dan Mullen going to Florida because Dan Mullen taught me the spread offense when he was the quarterback's coach at Utah, yeah? He has, like, a, an insane amount of, like, videos on YouTube and resources. And when I, when I was getting into X's and O's, I probably watched hundreds of hours of Dan Mullen talking about an inside zone, you know, because he won't stop talking about it. But Dan Mullen is an incredible mind. What he's done at Mississippi State has been in- incredibly impressive. They've had eight bowl qualifications in his nine years there. In the nine years before that, they had one. So that's amazing. The nine season that Starkville had been really, really impressive. I think that Mullen... What he brings to Florida, with he got that that spread style of offense, right? But it's a run first style. You know, there's there's a run spread and there's a pass spread as far as what your offense wants to do, how they really want to move the football. Mullen's a run first sort of a guy. I think that'll work better in Florida, where Florida has a couple of good pieces on that offensive line. Florida's got some young backs that are playing very well. And and what really excites me about Dan Mullen's offense, because again, I'm a huge fan of the way that he he deploys his team is he has he he uses that counterpunch style of offense his game planning is predicated on all right i'm gonna run inside zone on you and then once you make this move to try to counteract inside zone i'm gonna add in a read option and once you make this move i'm gonna add an rpo right i've got an answer for everything you can do and i think that that's gonna work really well against some sec defenses that can be very very tough i think that mullen will be able to impose his will on them which gets me very very excited obviously you know he's got the connection there as well in the uh, with the, in the AD office in Florida, one of the guys under whom he works, Scott Strickland, is now there. What interests me about Mullen, and, and kind of gives me a little bit of pause, is that he wasn't Florida's first choice, which confuses me a little bit because of the connection and because Mullen had some hype last year, and he, it never really came came to fruition. And Mullen had some hype to Tennessee this year, but that never really happened. And now they're going Graciano and whatever. I'm I'm wondering why Mullen isn't as attractive of a candidate two teams as i think he is from the eye test i wonder if there's something that's known there but i think that mullen i think he's done well as a recruiter at mississippi state and his time there that's a tough place to recruit and start obviously he'll get a huge bonus going to florida because florida's an excellent recruiting school it's got a lot of pull in the state so i think that's a good setup for him as far as recruiting goes i, I do have that little bit of pause like i said but i think that could be a, a knock it out of the park higher for a florida team that desperately needs it so i'm excited about dan mullen yeah and a guy that's familiar with gainesville and an Urban Meyer disciple. He was the offensive coordinator there with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, and uh, you know two national championships. So there's a there's a lot of really good that seems to be on the surface. And, and obviously Jim McElwain was just a bad fit. And I thought he was a bad football coach. So I think this is a major upgrade uh, for Florida. This Tennessee situation is nuts, man. Um, I was probably one of the few people uh, that thought Butch Jones. <laughs> 
deserved more time. I know, I get it. He lost <laughs> every every one of his last game, uh, the last game that they played against SEC teams, and that's that's terrible. Uh, but this is a disillusioned fan base. This is a disillusioned university. Uh, they fired Philip Fulmer um, after an incredible run, and it's been a circus, and uh, and it's even more of a circus right now. This guy led led this team to back to back nine and four seasons, three straight bowl wins from 2014 to 2016. There are ebbs and flows, Ben, with uh, this college football stuff. There's only a handful of teams, maybe even just three teams, that can constantly replenish talent and be good every year, and that's Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And and then there's everybody else, man. And there's ups and downs. And when you have uh, somebody who's drawing big. Uh, recruits going into before Butch Jones was fired. He had the number one recruiting class in the SEC for next season uh, already lined up. Uh, and a guy that has actually had some uh, success, more so than you had under Lane Kiffin and with Derek Dooley, uh, was kind of turning the corner. You had a bad season this year, and now you're just in this ridiculous situation where Greg Schiano should have never been even a consideration for this job. I mean, it feels like this AD just didn't do any homework. You've got a, a, a protesting fan base. You have a contract that was allegedly signed, and now there's a buyout for a guy who never even announces your head coach. I mean, this is a freaking joke. And uh, good luck to the next guy, because uh, Tennessee has weird expectations uh, that uh, are not indicative of the way the team's played. If you are what your record says you are, you're not a top program in the SEC. You're not ready to compete for SEC championships every year against Alabama and Auburn. Um, and so, um, you know, this is going to be this is going to be a rebuild. And, and I'm not sure who they're going to draw, and I feel bad for that guy. Uh, look, Tennessee's still an attractive destination. It's still a prestigious university. There's a lot of great history there. Uh, but uh, they're going to have to really – uh, do something here uh, that uh, is going to rekindle this fan base. And there's going to have to be some patience um, because they've they've really ruined things here with uh, the Butch Jones situation and then this Greg Schiano blunder and you know Chip Kelly allegedly turned him down before that conversation could even happen. Then they 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 focused their efforts on Dan Mullen. John Gruden's this this afterthought of some some type of uh, pipe dream that I, I don't know for whatever reason continues to to come up and and then now this Greg Schiano thing we're talking about po- potentially the fourth option the fourth guy that they wanted on Tennessee's list right. man uh, this is a mess this is a big big mess it's unbelievable and here's the thing that gets me so just twisted about the Greg Schiano situation. Greg Schiano was not ever going to be the guy to go and bring you back to, you know, SEC dominance and, and you know, continually exchange blows with Saban over many years. That was never going to happen. Greg Schiano was not that guy. I don't think Tennessee believed Greg Schiano was that guy. But Greg Schiano took a very bad Rutgers program. It took him a couple of years. You know, they'll throw out the record. Oh, he was 68 and 67 in his time at Rutgers. All right. After 2005, at which he had gotten his own recruits in the building, he had gotten his staff, his people— he was 54 and 33, and he brought up the six bowl games over seven years, right? He only had one 10-plus win season. He had, like, four with eight wins, right? Greg Schiano, you, you, it would take a few years, absolutely. But Greg Schiano is the sort of guy you want to bring in when you say, all right, our program is at rock bottom. Let's get a guy in here who can build us back up. And then if he's not the long-term solution, 
okay, we'll then try to get, you know, a, a, a more dynamic, you know, maybe cutting edge, younger coach, whatever, who will, you know, more SEC sort of a blood. And yeah, he'll he'll bring us back to like 11-1 and, and, and to college football playoffs and all that will happen. Greg Shuttle you need a point B and then maybe somebody else has to get you to point C. It was good for that. If Tennessee fans could just wrap their head around the fact that maybe, maybe they're not the cream of the crop in the SEC anymore and just maybe they need to take a couple of years to get there, they would, the great shadow is a fine hire. It's an, oh, it's a good hire. It's okay. But there's unrealistic expectations for this fan base. Are, are, it's shooting them in their, themselves in their own foot. It's awful. You've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. You've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Yeah, well, and certainly there's some stuff to unpack there with, you know, his involvement with the Sandusky case and then, you know, who he is as a person with the uh, the whole situation with, you know, him kind of encouraging uh, his his players to attack on the knee, you know, when the quarterback takes the knee yeah. at the end of the game. So there's some other layers here, but um, just just funky stuff, man, and, and God bless whoever the next coach of the Tennessee Volunteers is. Yeah, I, I don't think the Arkansas job has a whole lot to say. I mean, Brett Bielma, um, maybe he should have just stayed at Wisconsin. <laughs> he <laughs> wanted to go try to win in the SEC. That was Baby. always confusing. Uh, you know, I don't know what – look, there's like Gus Malzahn's rumored to go there, uh, Bobby Petrino. I don't know, man. Uh, this Arkansas, I don't know who they're going to get, but I, I understand moving on from Bielma. Yeah, I I don't know about you. I don't foresee Gus Malzahn wanting to leave Auburn for Arkansas at all, especially if Auburn continues this this streak. If they take it home a championship, I don't foresee Malzahn leaving whatsoever. That would that would surprise me. Um, I know that they have been talking about Brett Venables, who's the defensive coordinator there at Clemson. I like that. I think he kind of fits that, that the nature of the program you got there in Arkansas. Obviously, Arkansas's problem so far this year has been offense, though, and Venables isn't so much of a solution there. And so, I mean, they've had problems on defense, too. But I think that they, they need to make sure they can tag him with a good offensive mind as well. Yeah, Brett Venables would be fun. I, I agree with you. That would be a good mesh for that that uh, that fan base and uh uh, you know, he's had some success going against some of these SEC West uh, yeah. uh, coaches. So that would be, actually be a lot of fun. Uh, ben, what's up with Texas a and Kevin Sumlin, he's 51-26 and 26, uh, as in his time as a head coach there. Um, had an 11-win season, you know, probably averages about eight wins a year. What, what is the expectation at Texas A&M playing in the SEC West with LSU and Auburn and uh, and Alabama, I just I, I don't know if Kevin Sumlin was necessarily the problem, and I think this I'm I'm kind of a guy that likes guys to stick around, you know, I, yep. you know work through it, and, and I think we're so trigger happy a lot of times with these coaches, and everyone needs someone to blame when you don't, you know, 
win 10 games or something. But, uh, you know, I, I think Kevin Sumlin uh, did not deserve to be fired, although uh, the brass in Texas A&M disagrees with me. Yeah, that Kevin Sumlin situation really grinded my gears there a little bit, Joe, especially when they had that situation with the board member who was saying he was going to bring him out. That was never going to that, – that's, that's some nonsense. You know, you're putting a coach in, in a real tough situation there, and that frustrated me a lot. And then, yeah, Kevin Sumlin's strength ended up being kind of his demise there where he came on a – Came into Texas A&M, you know, they joined the SEC, and, like, his first season as a coach, they beat Alabama, and, you know, Aggie fans go, all right, this is the way it's going to be. No, no, it's not. You don't consistently beat Alabama. You know, again, this comes down to kind of fan base expectations. You know, someone comes in, excellent recruiter there in the state of Texas, gets John, uh, Johnny Manziel, gets Miles Garrett. You know, so some very successful recruiting classes. Obviously, the Manziel, one of the most electric college football players we've ever seen, they always had a chance in games, even if it was a, a, against a superior opponent. Manziel could always possibly bring them through. Then Manziel's leaving. You've got to bring in your next batch of quarterbacks, and he does so. You know, he brings in Kyler Murray. He brings in Kyle Allen. Those are two of the best quarterbacks in their respective classes. Things start to take a bit of a downward turn. They deal with some injuries. There's some struggles, and then both those quarterbacks leave. Now, that deserves some investigation, obviously. You know, you had Kyler Murray go to Oklahoma. Kyle, uh, Kyle Allen went to Houston. You know, you had to figure out why that is. You know, were both of these guys just way ahead of the curve on the Sumlin administration not being as good as we thought it was? I mean, maybe, but I think that there's probably more to unpack there personally for those two players. But once that happens, there's this this big narrative that, oh, someone can't, you know, field a consistent team. You know, someone's not the recruiter we thought he was. They don't believe in Sumlin, which I thought was a big jump at the gun at the time. And then it seems like someone gets judged on a lot of the performances of his teams after he loses two star quarterback recruits, not one, two star quarterback recruits, right? They bring in Trevor Knight as a, as a transfer, kind of a layover for the year. Now they've got Kellen Mond, who they're playing as a freshman. They have that other freshman, uh, Starkle, I think it is, who, you know, he, he played well in some limited time. So he's trying to get his guys back in. They're trying to, you know, find a quarterback to run this offense. And the plug gets pulled on him. I definitely think that, that the Sunland firing was, was too early. I would have loved to have seen see what he could do with Kellen Mond there for a couple of years, see what he could do with, with, with a more stable quarterback situation after he had those two players leave. I've heard now he's tied to Arizona State, uh, you know, which they've recently fired Todd Graham, who got a massive buyout from, from the Sun Devils. That was amazing. But if, I think that's a, that's a slam dog hire for Arizona State. I really think that, that okay, Kevin Sumlin can do good work there in the Pac-12. Yeah, it, it kind of leads me to believe that there really is a domino effect here, that this Jimbo Fisher thing, may be a real thing where he goes to Texas A&M where yeah. someone goes to Arizona state because uh, if you can get Kevin someone at Arizona state, maybe you do fire Todd Graham, but Todd Graham in and of himself, I don't think was necessarily a slam dunk fire. You know, he's, he's won 10 games on two occasions. Uh, he lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years and kind of brought them back. They finished very strong this year to close out the season at seven, five finished second in the pac 12 South. Um, so it seems to me to be seems likely to me that maybe this Fisher to Texas A&M, someone to Arizona State progression is a real thing, and then Florida State being open, man, that <laughs> that would really be surprising. Uh, let me, Joe. Let me tell you something about Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M. You remember when Jimbo was tied to LSU for a while? Yeah. Scott Woodward was was in the the athletic director's office there in LSU. He's now in Texas A&M. Okay. So when those Fisher he was there in LSU when, when Fisher was there as, as, uh, as an assistant at LSU. Now Scott Woodward, who is tied to those rumors, is in Texas A&M. So I, you know, this, I, uh, Jimbo as an Aggie could actually happen, which is nuts. So let's say it does. Like, who, who's the on the list for Florida State? That's a big job, I, right? I mean, that's... 
That's as big as it gets. Right, and and already you had so much movement in Florida with Scott Frost and with yeah. Jim McElwain moving. So it's crazy. Who who do you have there who has experience recruiting in that area? The only name that kind of comes up to me potentially, which you know it would be kind of uh, ground shaking if it were to happen, but could they move Willie Taggart out of Oregon? Mm. And could they bring him down to Florida State? I think that'd be crazy. Uh, but that's a name that you've heard people, you know, people felt that Taggart kind of was batting a little bit below his weight with the Oregon job. I don't know. Uh, that That's the only name that comes to mind if Florida State opens up. It's it's wild. Ben, is Bob Stoops really retired? Oh, don't even say it. Don't <laughs> bring Bob Stoops back. My heart, man. Uh, I don't know. Florida State's a marquee. That's like a top five job, right? I, I just... Um... I just think it would be so funny for for Jimbo to leave and then even crazier to start thinking about, you know, who that replacement is. Ben, I know that you have some takes here, and I want to let you have the floor here on the possibilities of Scott Frost in Nebraska and then Chip Kelly as a replacement at UCLA, and then we'll get into some conference championship game predictions. Yeah, let, let, I mean, I'll start with Scott Frost. I, I've been a huge fan of Scott Frost for a while. Uh, I love – the way that he operates that offense, you know, kind of got some option, got some spread in there, you know, the way that he, uh, he's learned from a lot of different people, been in a lot of different places. I obviously spent some time with Chip Kelly there in Oregon. He's also got, which I think is really, really cool for an offensive minded coach. He has a defensive background. He was a linebackers coach and a defensive coordinator at Northern Iowa. And, and that, that really helps you out a little bit when you're, uh, when you, when you're scheming up on offense. I really like the fact that he has that background, but what sticks out to me about Scott Frost is this. That UCF program was winless when he got there. And two years later, they're undefeated. That's special. You can't tell me that's not special. You know, I, like, sure, I'm sure there's extra circumstances that come in. You know, like, you know, he got lucky in some places, you know, whatever. There's, there's got to be added factors to do something that crazy. But, you, you know, that, that's unbelievable to me. And, and the way that you see this UCF team react to Scott Frost, you know, and, and USF being a big example of the war by four. He's got, you know, like, like P.J. Fleck, you know, coming out of Western Michigan last year, going to Minnesota. You know, he was a he was a special coach to bring a group of five team up, you know, undefeated like that. Western Michigan really bought in with his system. Obviously, you know, Fleck's a little bit of a, of a unique circumstance there because of the way that he is. But Scott Frost, you know, he's got a similar vibe in the sense that you can that, – that, that's a guy that you really think can come into a, a program that's just bleeding, like Nebraska's bleeding, and, and he can really break the, turn them around and really have an impact. I, I, I would love to see – how Scott Frost's offense works in the Big Ten West. Because those defenses in Big Ten West are physical, they're nasty, they're tough, but they are not fast. And Scott Frost's offense is very, very fast. And so I think that, and we talked about this, it would take a couple years, you've got to get your guys in the building. But I think Scott Frost's offense in Nebraska could cause ridiculous problems there in the Big Ten West. I mean, and obviously... Going back home to Nebraska, he's he's a known quantity there. I think that that the Huskers would really give you know he was he was a quarterback there. He had an undefeated season with them there in '97, I think it was. You know, the, I think that he'll he'll be comfortable. You know, the fan base would be comfortable with him. He'll get the time that that Mike Riley deservedly, in my opinion, did not get. I really really like the idea of Scott Frost there. Chip Kelly to UCLA. It to me, you know, kind of knowing Chip the way that I do, uh, he was Eagles coach for a couple of years. To go to UCLA instead of Florida tells me very specifically that, that Chip Kelly wants to run his offense and be left alone. And Chip Kelly wants to run his team and to not be bothered. UCLA is primarily a basketball school. They've been trying to up the, the football program, obviously. But he's not going to be you know, the, the biggest team in the state. He's not going to be the biggest team in the city, for God's sakes. You know, um, 
he's going to have a pretty solid control. He's got a huge amount of money from UCLA, too, the most they've ever given out to a football coach. So he's going to be tied there for a couple of years. He's not getting the national spotlight that Florida is. He's not getting the uh, the daytime games. He's going to get Pac-12 after dark games, so people aren't going to be bothering him. To me, the, Florida's better recruiting ground. Florida's better, you know, more prestige. And you, I think you're going to get more money from Florida. To me, you know, this reads to me like Chip Kelly wants to go coach in the Pac-12 again and run his offense and be competitive and do football things. And I'm sure he'll bring UCLA to be a, a good football team. I anticipate that because he's a very good coach. But it reads to me like he chose UCLA over Florida for kind of the anonymity and, and the singularity of it, which for UCLA, you don't want to be that school. You know, you don't want to be that option. Kind of turn. It seems to me like they are. So I don't know how long Chip Kelly will last there. I don't know, you know, if there's a cap on how good he'll be able to make a team. Obviously, he did grow in his time in the NFL. He is a little bit more aware of defense and the fact you have to possess the ball and slow things down sometimes so that's good but uh you know i I'll, I'll i'm excited to see chip kelly in college football again but i'll trust him once he once he proves for me to trust him you know what i mean yeah and chip um for him i think yeah to your point ucla is just a better fit than florida uh i think he would have been exciting in the sec but um for a lot of the reasons that jim McElwain wasn't necessarily a great fit uh, with uh, Steve Strickland, uh, I think Chip, Chip Kelly may have been a similar uh, similar problem in UCLA. He's uh, just going to be given the reins, everyone leave him alone, and uh, see if he can replicate the success he had at Oregon. Uh, ben, let's move on to the conference championship games that are coming up. I don't want to get too heavy into them from my perspective because I'll leave my picks uh, until Friday uh, with Kyle. But uh, I want to see what, where you think these games are going. And so uh, I'm going to go through the, the, the Power Five uh, Conference Championships as well as the AAC. And I, I, I want your winner and maybe just a very quick uh, reason as to why. And I will write these down, and we will stack it up and see uh, who comes out on top between me, you, and Kyle uh, as we all make our picks. But uh, you'll have the, the opportunity to go first. Uh, Friday night we have Stanford against USC. Who do you got, Ben? Stanford. Let me tell you something. I, I don't trust this USC team too much. They've been insanely inconsistent, especially in big games, when, when it's time for them to run. And then on top of that, the Stanford team is a lot better than the record shows. One reason for it is the is uh, Kevin Chris, quarterback KJ Costello. Chris is not playing anymore. KJ Costello is the starter. He's a young kid. He's old always been much more talented should have been the starter from day one. He's the starter now. He's playing some fantastic football. You saw the lay on Notre Dame. I like Stanford to pull out the Pac-12. All right, moving on to the Saturday games. First up, we have Memphis at UCF. Uh, are the Golden Knights gonna gonna win that one? Almost oh, definitely. And 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 USF, like I or excuse me, UCF, like I said, laid it on Memphis when they played. But that was at home, neutral site. Obviously, Memphis looking for a little bit of revenge. Mike Norvell, head coach at uh, Memphis, is a guy who I think is going to be getting a, a Power Five job when all things are said and done. So he'd like to have a statement game. Memphis will play it tougher, but again, I don't I don't see that UCF team drop in their, their undefeated record. I expect them to win it. TCU, Oklahoma for the Big 12. Oklahoma, do not be the guy to bet against Baker Mayfield. Next. <laughs> Smart man. Uh, we got the SEC, Georgia-Auburn. This is my – I'm most excited for this one. It's going to be the best game, in my opinion. I think it will be the closest game as well. I have it for Georgia. I think that this uh, this defense is, is a very proud defense. It's a very talented defense, and it's very upset that it lost the game that it did against Auburn. Like I said, Auburn's nicked up. They've come out for a lot of very emotional games. I think they might be due for a little bit of a letdown. As much as I'd love to see Auburn win it, I think that Georgia takes 
Yeah, the, the injuries at running back will be big for, for Auburn, I, I would say, yes, uh, very much there. It's hard to beat a team twice, too, in a, in a year, so that's something also to keep in mind, uh, even though you see Oklahoma doing that uh, against TCU. Uh, let's see here. We've got Miami-Clemson for the ACC, a play-in game. Yeah, uh, I give it to Clemson. Miami, since the, the Mark Walton injury, you've kind of, you know, at least for me, I've been waiting for them to kind of fall off the, to the tracks a little bit. And I think you've seen it now from Miami. And again, for me, Malik Rogier is inconsistent, whereas with, with Kelly Bryant, even if he's not throwing the ball too well, that Clemson rushing attack is something. And so I give it to Clemson. And then finally, the Big Ten, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I want to pick Wisconsin. I really do. Like I said, I think they'll make it close. This pick is this pick has got a big asterisk next to it that says that JT Barrett can play. And I think that that's very important. Um, but I'm going to give it to the Ohio State University. I do think that you know Urban Meyer. He he's, he he he'll have his team ready, regardless of what quarterback it is. I think they will play it tough. But you got to watch that quarterback narrative. That could change a lot of things. Which begs the question: With this slate of winners you have, it would presume that Oklahoma, Georgia, and Clemson are in. Mm-hmm. who's number four yeah and so at the end of the day now you're stuck with uh it's gonna have to be for this 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 playoff committee to let in a two loss champion and so i think that number four would end up going to ohio state i don't oh. think that one i i don't think that one loss bama gets it over two loss ohio state as a, as a as a champion of the big 10 that's remarkable that is remarkable we are gonna leave it right there Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Draft Dudes. Kyle's going to be back for us on Wednesday. You'll get to hear from him and, and all his adventures that he's, he's having here lately. Ben, thank you so much for filling in and, and doing a fantastic job, as always, bringing terrific analysis to the table. Um, and uh, make sure that you are following Mr. Benjamin Solak on Twitter. His Twitter handle is very simple, at Benjamin Solak. Solak is S-O-L-A-K. Follow my man. He has good takes. He's a good football mind. And, uh, and, and so make sure you give him some support. Uh, we'll be back again for you, like I said, on Wednesday for another episode of The Draft Dudes as we get ready for the, the defining moments of this college football season here as we gear up towards bowl season and ultimately the playoffs and national championship. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss anything. We are getting into this draft season, and we are going to have you ready for this 2018 NFL draft. So uh, keep it right here and hit that subscribe button and leave us one of those five-star reviews, one of those five stars like Butch Jones was recruiting the 10th before the All right, I'm going to sign off on that note. Signing off for Ben Solak, I am Joe Marino, and thank you for listening to the Draft News Podcast. Come together, right the high fashion hotline hi my family's going to a concert in the park and we want our style to be the main attraction rock over to old navy old navy yep right now get up to 50 percent off jeans from 15 bucks for adults 10 bucks for kids at old navy and old navy.com up to 50 percent off jeans for the family that's music to my ears plus now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online pick up in store it's fun fast and free styles that take center stage and free pickup in store when i buy online old navy here we come high fashion old navy about 720 to 729 select styles only
You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.